I can remember very clearly one night my mom saying, Daddy's home. And my immediate thought was, oh, great. Now the fighting is going to start. But my father was upset. He packed her suitcase, put it on the front door, front porch, and put the chain lock on the door. That one left a mark because I didn't know what the heck was going on. I so desperately wanted to be loved. I so desperately wanted to be accepted. And so I tolerated behavior that wasn't appropriate. The sun came through a stained glass window above the altar. And that was the first time I ever really recall hearing God. How does God change physical, emotional, and sexual abuse into a positive? Is it even possible to heal that kind of trauma? What if that trauma leads me into more trauma, more unhealthy relationships? Can God take all of that and change me into a new person? A person who brings healing to others? These are the questions that I want to ask our guest today as she shares her life change story. I'm Eric Hutchinson. Welcome to the If Nothing Changes podcast. So, hey, friend, welcome to the podcast. Why don't you take a, just a second and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit something about yourself. Well, my name is Daphne. I live in Northwest Arkansas, and I can tell you with a resounding yes, that is the answer to almost every question you asked. Change is possible when we are willing. Well, that is a great answer. Well, I can't wait to hear your story, so let's get into it just a little bit. Tell me, are you a native Arkansan, or did you grow up somewhere else? And Tell us about where you grew up. Tell us a little bit about how many siblings you may or may not have, and your mom and dad. So just give us a little history. Yeah, so um, it's funny. I travel quite a bit, and people ask me where I'm from, and I will always answer, well, I'm from Dallas, but I live in Northwest Arkansas. I've been here almost 30 years, and so nobody do the math, but um, more than half my life I've been here. And... I'm still, those Texas roots, they run deep. But uh, I grew up in North Texas, uh, and, and of course in Dallas, and grew up as the oldest of three girls in a highly functional, dysfunctional family, which is something I learned later on. But to me at the time, it was normal. It's what I was used to. And grew up in a private school, Went to chapel five days a week. Family went there to the same place on Sunday. So I was exposed to faith from kindergarten on up and really created some wonderful foundational information. But that was head knowledge. It was not heart knowledge. And then with everything that was going on in my life, the turmoil between my parents, I can remember very clearly one night my mom saying, Daddy's home. And my immediate thought was, oh, great. Now the fighting is going to start. So tell me about your relationship with your sisters. So you're the oldest of three sisters. How much age is between you? And were you the sisters that fought like cats and dogs? Or were you the sisters that were closer than, than anything? Yeah, so I am five and a half years older than one sister. Then two and a half years later, another sister came. So there's an eight-year age gap between me and the baby. Now, the middle sister... When she was born, and my parents dealt with some infertility, so that's part of why there was such an age gap, they were thrilled to have her, and they presented her to me as, this is your baby sister. And I thought that was so cool. 
And then a couple of years later, when the other one came along, I was like, what is this? So there was a big enough age gap and come to find out later in life, close enough personality traits that myself and that youngest one did not get along so well. I, I babied the middle sister and the two younger ones, they were only two and a half years apart. So they're the ones who fought like cats and dogs. My parents divorced or our parents divorced when I was 13. Mm -hmm. And at that point I went straight into caregiver mode. I went into mom mode. So I basically became the boss of them. So your middle sister, the one that's just younger than you, does she look up to you like a uh, a mentor or a person that they would, your confidant, you know, she'd come to you with her troubles and stuff. I mean, did you, you said you mothered, so I'm assuming that there was a, a close relationship there? Yeah, yeah. Actually, after our parents divorced, they both, we became this tight-knit group, and they would literally send me Mother's Day cards mm. or give them to me during our high school years because I was... I was the mother figure. Even my mother will say that I parented her. She openly admits that. So tell me about your relationship with your mom then. Were you really close to your mom? And I mean, when you were growing up, whenever, you know, you, did you talk to her a lot? Did she uh, mother you? I mean, what was the relationship like between you and your mom? Yeah. After a lot of healing and awareness, I have come to recognize that because I was mothering her, I always longed for that TV mom, that mom who would take care of me. Now, I don't, I don't want to paint my mother in a negative light, not at all. She 100% did the best she could with who she was at the time. It wasn't always what I needed, however. And because she had me at a very young age, she was 21 when she had me, she always got accused of being my older sister. I would be out with her and I've always had a little bit more of a mature look and they would say, that's your mom. I can't believe that's your mom. She looks like your older sister. So that didn't really help matters. Uh, that just kind of reinforced the distance. And now as I have healed, as she has done some work on herself, um, we are closer now. I certainly know that when I became a mom, I recognized lots of ways that she did help me that she did lots of lessons she did teach me. Um, and I would call her on occasion and say, hey, thank you. I'm sorry I was such a punk growing up. Uh, this mom stuff is hard. <laughs> did you have a, a relationship with your dad at all, or was he away from the home a lot? I mean, what? how was your relationship with your dad? Yeah, so my dad was a cop. Oh. And uh, I grew up, I tell people, I grew up afraid of three things, my dad, the cops, and God. Well, my dad was a cop and sometimes he thought he was God. So uh, it was a little stressful, especially because he also wanted to have sons, which mm. he didn't have any. Um, I received my first firearm at age 12. Not the gift most 12-year-old girls look forward to. But you could defend yourself. But I could certainly <laughs> defend myself, yeah. Um, and so he and I had an interesting relationship. I learned that love from a male would be harsh and it was truly only because of God that later in my life, I was about 18, 19, I had an encounter with God. And it, the way I hear from him, I heard him say, I gave you the dad that you need. And it's taken me years to figure that one out. However, when my dad did pass away, he's been gone six years. We were so close. It was so healed. I knew he was my biggest advocate and my biggest protector. Okay. 
So um, there's been a lot of redemption in my life in regards to my relationships with my parents. Did you, would you say that there was anger issues with him in the younger years? Oh, anger, alcoholism. Uh, there was never any physical violence between my father and my mother. None at all. Okay. It was all, it was all verbal. And I know it was stressful when living in North Dallas at the time, trying to keep up with the Joneses, uh, with a woman who was a dental hygienist, a dad, uh, who was a cop. You can't keep up with the Joneses on those salaries. And yet that was the environment that they both had been raised in. And so I know there was even pressure from my grandparents for them and on them and with them. And, um, I don't know what the final blow was for them to divorce. I do clearly remember one night my mom was out. I don't know what she was doing, but my father was upset. He packed her suitcase, put it on the front door, front porch and put the chain lock on the door. Wow. I saw him do that. That, that one left a mark because I didn't know what the heck was going on. Wow. So to me, that sounds like trauma. Oh, yeah. So how does how does that impact you as a child that witnesses all of these things? Was it something that you ran from and needed to escape from? Or did you, you know, you mentioned the mothering uh, things coming out with your sisters and so forth. But how did you feel? How did, how did that make you feel? Uh, what was going on inside your head? So um, I have always been a thinker and someone who strategizes. So my thoughts were stay as far away as possible, numb the pain, shut it off. Prior to all of this, I had had some sexual childhood trauma from a non-family caregiver. So my baseline, uh, my foundational understanding of men and their authority, if you will, in my life was very skewed. The one constant I had was my maternal grandfather uh, as far as he was concerned, I hung the moon. And so I'm so very grateful for him. But I learned at an early age to shut my feelings down. And quite honestly, it wasn't until about 15 years ago when I would say I got my heart back mm. because I thought by shutting it off that I wouldn't get hurt any longer. And I came to realize that, no, what I was doing was suffocating it. I was robbing myself of potential joy and truly living. Mm. Well, tell me, you mentioned about a non-family member caregiver. And I'm not, is that during the divorce time or was that beef, uh, early years or when did that happen? And yeah, that was, that was early on. I was maybe age seven. Oh, wow. And, um, because of my dad's schedule and my mom's work schedule, there was this older couple that my mom would drop myself and my sisters off to, to watch us during the day. And still to this day, I don't have 100% clarity on every interaction. I did thankfully a few years ago, go ahead and dive into the memories I had. I just knew that something inside was off. Something was out of alignment. And I can remember I was maybe 10, 11. So this is before the divorce. My mom said to me, so-and-so uh, has had a heart attack. And this so-and-so was the man who was the perpetrator. And I can remember saying out loud to her, so who cares? And I thought, wow, that's, that's a very harsh reaction. But I had stifled. I had so shut off the trauma that I experienced with him that that was 
my beginning of learning how to shut down. Did you ever tell anyone about that trauma or was it something that you hid until adulthood? Yeah. So I didn't have the full recollection until adulthood. Honestly, Uh, I got involved in Celebrate Recovery and part of going through my inventory and a step study and working with a counselor at the time, I started to remember certain highlights of it. And I so wanted to shut it off. I did not want to recall anything. And yet there was something inside me that said, the longer you hold on to this, the more power it has over you. You are being held prisoner by this memory. If you will dive into it, you can be set free. So did you ever go back and talk to your, after you went through your recovery and all these memories came back and you started dealing with any of that, did you go back and talk to your mom or your dad about any of that or not? I never told my dad. I did tell my mother and please, when you all are hearing this story, understand I have peace about this now. Uh, My book had come out. I tell the story in there. My mom read my book. She came to me and said, I read your story. Was so-and-so the one who did this to you? And I was shocked that she could figure it out. And I said, yes. How did you know? And she said, well, one time when I went to pick you up, He tried to put his hand up my shirt, and I wondered if you all were in any kind of danger. Oh, my gosh. I didn't really know what to do with that at that point. Wow. I was flabbergasted. Wow. Truly. I had, it was like, what? You suspected, and yet you left us in this? And this is back in the days. I'm not making any excuses. I'm not justifying a thing. This was back in the day when we didn't even know what stranger danger was. Right. And people didn't talk about anything. Right. And so, again, I know my mom did the best she could with who she was at the time. And she has her own journey of recovery that she's going through. I want to ask you about your God experience. So when would you say, and did you have a God experience whenever you were a child, or was it more as an adult? It was definitely more as an adult. For me, growing up, any type of relationship with God was all about rules and regulations, especially growing up in the Protestant church that I went to where you knelt, you read from a book. There wasn't this personal, it was all external. There was a lot of pageantry and majesty, which I appreciate 100% today. However, it didn't give me that personal connection. So when I was about 18, 19, as I mentioned, I was attending worship with my dad. Our relationship was starting to mend. It had gotten so bad when I was a teenager He would come over to pick my sisters up for the weekend. I would go into the bathroom and say, tell dad I'm not going and I'm in the bathroom right now because I didn't want to be a liar. I was like literally in the bathroom, right? So he, he knew that I was hurt. He was not equipped to talk to me about how or what any, any of that type of thing. As I got older, we started going to church together and I can remember kneeling and it was time for communion the sun came through a stained glass window above the altar. And that was the first time I ever really recall hearing God. Wow. And that was to help mend the relationship with my father. 
So would you say that you put some blame then on your father for the divorce and all of that? I mean, was I mean, sometimes kids pick a parent and say, okay, the other parent is the one that's at fault and I'm going to identify with this parent. 100%. Now, at the time, because I did not see my mom as a strong woman. Later on, I realized how strong she was. But in the in the moment, I didn't see her as a strong woman. And I transferred my feelings and I thought... To, about my dad, how dare you do this to my mother? When really later on after healing, it was, how dare you do this to me? Mm. How could you leave me? Mm. And so that was my perspective. And again, a coping mechanism, right? I'd had all this trauma. I shut down all my feelings. Now the parents are divorcing another trauma. And that's how I didn't want to deal with it. I was like, oh, I made it about him and my mom. Right. And I blamed him. So mm-hmm. how did that skew your view, if it did, of God, our Heavenly Father? Does that skew your view at all towards towards God? It, it really didn't, and that's because I did not have that personal relationship with him. So as you got older, now I'm, I'm going to make sure that I'm clear, your God moment that you had uh, in church where you felt like God spoke to you, would you say that that was a salvation moment, or was that just a maybe the door that opened up that you started saying, oh, well, there is a God, and and it kind of, you pursued it later. Yeah, it was a door opener, mm-hmm. 100%, right. right? He was this far away, deity. authoritative, yeah. yeah, deity who was casting judgment and all the things. And so I, here, here's what's interesting to me, Eric. All along my entire life, I have had this gut feeling that everything that has happened in my life from childhood sexual trauma to being raped in my early twenties to physical, emotional and mental abuse later on. I knew it wasn't supposed to be this way. Mm. I never ever thought that I deserved any of it. You didn't, (laughs) which right, right. But a lot of people don't have that perception. They think they did something bad. They thought they did something wrong, that they were wrong. And just the way God wired me, my gut said, this is not right. This is not your end. This is not your story. There is something more. And because of that, that is what inspired me to seek healing. That's awesome. That's awesome to hear you say that because I talked to so many that, that described their abusers or their, that, oh, I just deserve that. That's why. No, you didn't deserve that. Right. And we say in Celebrate Recovery is that you know, when we do our inventories, you are not guilty, you know, you need to write that down and see that yourself, but that wasn't your experience. So that's interesting. You know, like you said, it's kind of the way that we're wired. So when would you say you had a salvation experience? I believe that my true salvation happened through a woman that I met when I was in direct sales. She was a gal who lived in the Northwest and she had cancer. Because of the direct sales organization that I was a part of, we had cancer support research um, options down in Dallas that she didn't have where she lived. And so a bunch of us put money together, flew her down for some treatments, and I got to actually pick her up at the airport. Now, this is a woman I'd never met, but I got to pick her up at the airport and drive her to her appointments. And I kind of became a self-appointed chauffeur for her. And she and I got to have several conversations. And I remember this woman married two young girls, stage four diagnosis. Basically, it was 
palpative care. That was what they were administering. And she had this peace about her. She had this hope. She had this joy that I did not understand at all. I could not imagine being in her situation and having that. And so I started asking questions and I asked and I asked and she shared her story. She never once tried to push her story on me, but she gently guided me to understand that a personal relationship with Christ was her answer. And so growing up, I had been baptized as a child because that's the way we did things. And I even for decades said prayers about believing in one baptism. Well, July 5th, several years ago at Celebrate Recovery, I made my public declaration. Uh And um, I thought, you know, I could do this on any day, but I'm going to have my own freedom day. And so did it after, you know, on July 5th. And um, so grateful for the opportunity to do that and make that public declaration. So it doesn't sound like you went to college. Did you go to college or I not? Did. Oh, you I did. did. So I did. I did high go school, to college. Did, okay. Mm-hmm. I went, so I went straight into the workforce and then I went to community college is what we called it. Actually, I think we called it junior college back right. in that day. This is still in North Dallas and went to school for a little while. I was footing the bill. Uh, then my dad was ch- uh, chipping in. And so I went to college a little bit part-time then I went back to work full-time. Then I went full-time for a couple of semesters. And then I was like, you know what? I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. So right now I'm just wasting money and wasting time. I went to work full-time and I was working in a retail jewelry store, a little independent store. And there was a gal there and she and I became close friends. Now she was literally old enough to be my mother, but we hung out and we would go to bars and it was at a bar one night where I met the guy who I wound up marrying. So you met the guy you're going to marry. You married this guy. Um, tell me a little bit about, so you, you witnessed and had some dysfunction. You had some trauma, some other things. You brought that into the marriage. And I'm assuming because every person has some hurts, habits, or hangups in their life. So he brings his in, you bring you in. How was your relationship with the, with the husband and how long were you guys married? Yeah. So we were married for 32 years. And to your point, we both brought our own stuff in. He used to say, you know, your family puts the fun in dysfunction. My family puts the funk in it because he grew up in an abusive home and people did not talk about things at all. My family says, hey, we're messed up and we know it. And his family did not talk about it at all. Started off kind of sort of storybook, um, although there were some red flags that I didn't know were red because we didn't, again, talk about red flags back then. I just knew that there were times where I was like, well, this doesn't seem right. And at the same time, I so desperately wanted to be loved. I so desperately wanted to be accepted. And so I tolerated behavior that wasn't appropriate. Mm. Over the time, things got worse. For us, some of it was money, Uh, just like my parents. We straightened all that out. We got that squared away. But then as I got healthier, I started to notice more dysfunction. When I'm changing and he's not changing, the gap between us grew wider and wider and wider. 
was there any substance abuse or anything going on? Did you use anything as an escape or a medication? Because, man, 32 years marriage, and it sounds like there was some unhealthy things going on in the marriage. So um, how did you deal with that? How did you cope? Yeah, so mine was food, uh, definitely. And I, I can look back at family photos now and tell you what year it is based on how much I weighed and what hairstyle I had. <laughs> uh, mine was definitely food. It was, let me eat until I'm numb. And I would sometimes stay up so late and eat so many carbs that I would fall asleep so that when I did go to bed with him, I just fell asleep. And then I wouldn't thinking about anything. Wow. So would you say that you have changed the coping now? I mean, is food still a, a coping thing for you or do you still struggle with that? Or what's, tell me about that. Yeah, I think to a degree that I may always struggle with that because I actually, so I have a long history with food. I'm developing a healthier relationship with it. And I'm really focused on Daphne. Are you hungry or are you trying to numb something? Are you trying to avoid a feeling? Because later on, you're actually going to feel worse because you overate. And right. now you're going to beat yourself up because of that choice. So food and I, you know, unlike a lot of other addictions, you got to have food to live. Right. Right. So it's, it's, a, it's a hard one. It to, is. It's tough. To overcome. And, it, and I think the questions that you just asked yourself are the appropriate questions. Am I eating because I'm hungry? because I need food or am I eating because it's either a pleasurable thing that I'm using to cope or to escape from. And so I think asking yourself and being honest with yourself is a really important thing there. So what happened four years ago that it seemed like something went on in your life that changed things? What would you say the turning point was? Yeah. So, um, and now that I think about it, it was just to be accurate. It was, it was like three years ago. So, um, there was an incident for the July weekend of all weekends, and there was some betrayal from the husband verbally and emotionally that rocked me to the core. This had, this is a reflection of 32 years of marriage, of marriage, of half truths, of manipulation, of twisting things. And that is when my trigger flipped, my switch flipped, whatever you want to call it. So how did you how did you make a turn in your life besides getting out of the unhealthy relationship? How did God intervene in your life? Yeah, wow. So once I made the decision and I made the request for a divorce, I I did not want a divorce. I, part of why I stayed married so long was I didn't want my kids to go through what I went through. I didn't want to deal with it. And finally I said I am putting them ahead of me. Codependency and I, I went into the request for the divorce calmly with counsel, with scripture, and I knew it was the appropriate thing to do. So let's talk about your kids for a minute because you did go through your parents going through a divorce and it was traumatic. So how are your kids? How did your kids deal with the mom and dad's been together for 32 years and now they're getting divorced? How did that happen? How did that go? When I finally did say, look, you know, we're getting divorced. My daughter supported me. My son understood. So let me give you a scenario, and I'm just interested to hear what you would say. At some point, he comes back to you and says, and this is, of course, you know, a fictional situation, but if he'd come back and said, you know what, I was wrong, and I should not have done that, and I need help, 
we need help. Let's go get help. Had he said, you know what? I'm tired of living this way and I'm ready for authentic soul change. I'd have been with him every step of the way. However, it takes two people to make it work and only one person to break it. Right. There's a difference between manipulation and, you know, getting healing or seeking that together. And so that's why I want to make that perfectly clear. But if the other person truly, sincerely wants to get help and you want to get help, then seek the help, you know, allow God into that marriage. Now, again, you can let God into your life. You can't force God into someone else's life. And if they're not willing to, to get help, then that's, you know, you, you can't, you can't do anything. And it's not healthy to be in a toxic situation. And so anyway, I just was curious of, you know, I, I felt that that was from you. I know your heart. And I think if, um, you know, your spouse had said, Hey, I really want to get help. And I really want that. I think that you probably, um, that you oh, would, I'd yeah, have been, yeah. I'd have been all in. In fact, yeah. I have friends, and this is kind of a, a little side note. I have friends who've been married close to forty years. He has a pornography addiction. Mm. When she found out about that and called him out on the carpet, he said, "I want to walk away." Mm. He has been, I don't know what the proper term is, clean, whatever, for a couple of decades now, mm-hmm. and they have the most godly marriage right. because he said, "I want to change." Right. People have to want to change. We can't make them. I'm me changing myself is a full time job. Right. I can't change anybody else. Well, and I often tell guys, I was like, the best thing you can do for your marriage is to get healthy spiritually. Get healthy and keep your side of the street clean. You can't control the other spouses. Uh, actions or what they do, but you can get healthy. And if you get healthy, that's the best thing that you can do for your marriage. And hopefully the other person will see the change or see that that is needed. But anyway, that's uh, Daphne. Thank you so much for sharing. These are really personal stories, but there are people that are going through these kind of things that need to hear that. So um, let me ask you this last question. So lots of people listening. So whenever someone's listening and they say, wow, I've had some really hard trauma in my life, whether it's physical, emotional, or sexual abuse. I've had some trauma that I've brought into my marriage, my relationships with others. And I just, I really don't know how any of that can change, you know, and how, how does that happen? And how did that happen to you? And, and you can mention your book, you mentioned writing a book. And so what led you to writing that book and and kind of give us a synopsis? Sure. So when I went through Celebrate Recovery, and I've, I've gone through a non-programs, again, of workshops, weekend retreats, counselors, all the things. CR was a turning point for me. And I am a life change because of Celebrate Recovery. And what's interesting is I did not go to Celebrate Recovery for myself. I went to Celebrate Recovery because of an incident of one of my family members. And I thought, well, how can I get better to help them? Again, the codependency. For anyone who's listening who has been hurt, Are you willing to risk hope? Are you willing to take a chance and bet on yourself and just for even a moment believe that there's something more? I wrote my book called What's Your Scarlet Letter? Recognize Your Hurt, Release Your Shame, and Reclaim Your Voice. Truly, as cliche as it sounds, to help one other woman. That's what I learned in recovery. There is no one, male or female, who needs to go through this life alone. We were created for a relationship and there are healthy relationships out there, especially when we connect to the one who is 
perfect. So if it hurt you, it matters and it can be healed as long as you are willing to be open to change and hold on to hope and reach up as well as reach out. Absolutely. Well, Daphne, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Hey, if you are listening today and you have trauma in your past, maybe it's even child abuse. If so, that is not your fault. You are not guilty for those actions of your perpetrator. Don't let the enemy shame you into believing that you are broken beyond repair. God can heal anything. He can help you change your perspective. Maybe you've been in a toxic relationship. Maybe you're going through divorce or maybe you've been through divorce like me. God can heal you, he can comfort you, and he can change you just like he did for Daphne. However, if nothing changes, nothing changes. See you next time.